Welcome to the Greener Way podcast, a show about people, planet, and purpose, and how investors and corporate leaders push forward in a complex world. Welcome to the Greener Way podcast. I'm your host and managing editor of FS Sustainability, Rachel Alambakis. In this episode, brought to you by CFS Thrive Plus, we'll be discussing all things responsible investing, what it is, how managers build responsible investing strategies, and how advisors can find solutions to meet their clients' needs. Joining us for this conversation are Colonial First State Director of Responsible Investment, Ganit Rana, and Kate Temby, a partner at Affirmative Investment Management. Ganit, Kate, welcome to The Greener Way, and can you please introduce yourselves for the audience? Thanks, Rachel. So I'm Ganit Rana, and I lead Responsible Investments at CFS, and really excited to be here. And I'm Kate Temby. I'm a partner with Affirmative Investment Management, whom we've just been acquired by MetLife. And we really work at delivering returns uh, with a social and environmental impact in the fixed income arena. Well, let's get straight into this discussion um, by acknowledging it's a challenging macroeconomic and geopolitical landscape out there at the moment. Um, And how is that impacting on responsible investment? Ganit, I might kick off with you. Thanks, Rachel. The environment is complex. We have the superpower competition going on between US-China. We have supply chain issues. We have climate change. We have the Russian war, which is causing um, energy security. We have cybersecurity. Um, Too much happening. But let me explain using an example how it's really impacting the world of responsible investment. So let me start with climate change. So we know climate change is driving the need for decarbonization. And according to IEA, to reach, say, one and a half degrees by 2050, we need our solar capacity to grow by 21% per year till 2030. So then when I think of the solar value chain, we need critical minerals like lithium. We need ingots, wafers to produce those solar panels. And then, of course, the companies need to generate and distribute electricity. So honing in on that issue on supply change, if I look at that critical minerals like lithium, it's really exposed to some of those supply chain issues. And MSCI had produced some metrics which says that about 79% of polysilicon for solar panels and about 97% of solar wafer manufacturing comes from China. So if we have these geopolitical tensions going on between US and China, any kind of imports from China of solar panels can get impacted. This is going to impact those companies. And then over and above that, you think of the current macro environment with the increase in rates. There's a whole increase in cost of capital for those companies. So this complexity is only increasing. And we as investors need to be really responsible and be thoughtful about it. How do we manage through this environment? Well, we like to say here at, at The Greener Way that we uh, we live in the complexity and the nuance, and that's the space where we find our, our interesting conversation. So, Kate, is it all gloom and doom out there, or are there opportunities as well? Rachel, I agree the complexity has really 
always been there in financial markets and as they evolve. Uh, I think here in Skanik, kindly pointed out uh, that we have these top-down macro issues and we have the climate change really driving this transition. And with the transition is an extraordinary amount of funding that is needed. Um, So I would argue that it's actually just not climate change that's driving this. These are businesses globally, regardless if you're a government or if you're a corporate, that needs to find a sustainable practice going forward. So not only to deliver both for environmental or social reasons, but for their people and and also for economic return. So with that, you know, some of those numbers that Ganit commented, the the debt markets will be a key funder. Uh, and our view is that you know providing funding, whether it's through impact bonds, so use of proceeds or general purpose uh, through transition finance will be a critical element for businesses and corporates and and governments to make it to the other side uh, of, of this transition that we're talking about. Mm, fantastic. It's And it's really fantastic to have um, a fixed income manager like yourself, Kate, on this conversation because it brings uh, an extra co- a dimension to the conversation around responsible investing. We'll be getting into that a little bit further in our conversation. But Gunit, um, coming back to you, how do we talk about responsible investment at a fund level uh, before turning to Kate so she can provide a little bit more color on the asset class level? So when I think about responsible investment at CFS, we try to integrate all the ESG risk in our investment processes. But at the same time, we know some of our members want to have some sustainable funds to invest in. So we created Thrive Plus, which is a sustainable growth fund. But we have been really selective on the asset classes, the strategies, and the managers that we have selected. So say we don't invest in REITs as a separate asset class. We note that the built environment contributes close to 25 or 30% of global emissions. But instead of investing in the REITs, we prefer to invest in innovative businesses that are actually improving the carbon footprint of the buildings, improving the carbon efficiency. And these are companies like Kingspan, Legrand, Train Technologies. At the same time, when it comes to The defensive sector, we invest in user proceed bonds. So instead of just investing in corporate bonds or um, sovereign bonds, we have taken decision to make sure we invest only in predominantly, I would say, in user proceed bonds. And Kate being or Aim being one of our managers, I'm sure she'd love to elaborate on that. And then the other aspect is we're still looking for opportunities. And, you know, the comment around opportunities that Kate mentioned. To add to that, there are a lot of tailwinds today. So U.S. passed a legislation, the Inflation Reduction Act, which is earmarked close to $270 billion for tax credits to incentivize the zero-carbon energy. We have Repower EU, the equivalent in Europe, and Australia is also taking some initiatives. So when we have these tailwinds, we're also looking for those opportunities, some new asset classes to add to the fund. So to, to your point, yes, we have been really selective, specifically for Thrive Plus on classes, asset classes, strategy, and fund managers. I just want to pick up on a point you mentioned there, Gunit. I think it's a, such a useful distinction um, for people in our audience to understand 
ESG and sort of the risk stra- the risk mitigation that comes through using ESG strategies and information versus sustainability there we sometimes use those terms interchangeably but there are actually very profound differences that it's worth highlighting so I'm really glad that you specified that in your answer um, and maybe Kate if you can sort of elaborate on that point or go a little bit further from the perspective of, of a fixed income manager yes and I, I think you're really right in regards to the evolution of ESG through to sustainability and impact. Uh, In regards to how, and this is Ganit's strength um, from Colonial First Stage of understanding managers who do this at really the top of the bar, Um, we know that we've had extensive focus on greenwashing, uh, both from what is being issued into the market, but also as a manager, what are your processes? We wholeheartedly believe this is a very good development uh, because it's raising the bar around exactly your point. Uh, what do you need to do to ensure that there is an ESG standard? And if there is an impact or sustainability standard, what that is. Uh, we have developed over the last five years um, a track record that we believe looks at the verification. Uh, we use a framework that incorporates both ESG and both we both um, looking at, at, at criteria that is both sustainability and also hard old-fashioned credit work. Uh, so we would look at the issuer to understand what is the issuer's behaviours. And I can give you some examples there where actually issuers haven't met the bar. Uh, then we look at the use of proceeds, and that is one of the benefits of mm. um, impact bonds, that you can actually really link the financing through to the project. Uh, we gather data at the project level. Mm. So an example, in a fund, we may hold about 150 issuer names. That would make up over 2,000 projects. So we are doing the hard work at the ground up uh, to really verify uh, that we have the transparency, uh, we have the reporting, uh, and a way that we can actually recalculate um, key metrics so we can deliver uh, both the financial returns, which are our aspiration, as well as the impact uh, through to investors. What does that look like? Can, you, you said you've got some practical examples or real-life examples, um, both in terms of positive inclusion but also sort of that negative exclusion space, Kate. Yeah. Uh, now, we, and to start with, I think you have highlighted the evolution of the impact bond and the sustainability, whatever name we want to call it. It used to be about exclusions. It's now very much more positive selection. So we're pretty light on on exclusions per se, but once you work through our sustainability process, it is unlikely a tobacco issuer will make it through our process and through our threshold. Uh, And so the art is really how do you do it on a uh, large scale? Because there's a lot of issuers, as we know, this market's over two two, three trillion dollars and and growing. So a great example of an include uh, is Eurofirma which is made up of 25 European uh, supranationals. And really the purpose of that organisation is to deliver innovative rail solutions across Europe. Um, We like that example because that's all that business does. So if we look at the responsible issuer criteria for that business, it's pretty high. That's all they're focused on. They're Mm. focused on delivering, um, you know, financing railways across Europe. It's also very measurable. So the projects um, and that are, are really implemented in each of the countries, uh, they have very clear emission targets, very clear you know, production targets. Uh, so that is a really great, and that's a great include, and we've been invested for some time. Uh, an example of where we see it's an, an exclude um, would be Dubai 
uh, Islamic Bank. Uh, they issued a sustainable financing framework. In fact, the framework was very solid. Uh, it really did outline, you know, the key eligible criteria that you'd think, renewables, um, there was some employment incentives. So that was all very positive. Uh, but there was a couple of levels uh, that didn't pass. Um, so in, it was really on our sustainable criteria. Very strong on credit, actually. So our criteria have to actually pass on both. Passed on credit but didn't pass on sustainability for two reasons. Firstly, uh, in regards to the ESG criteria of the issuer of the bank, um, mm. there was a really a lack of ESG policies that were at a level that we were satisfied. And we did engage with the issuer uh, and that they had no plans to sort of improve that. The other piece is we couldn't really see the targets. So while there were good eligible mm. criteria, there was really not ambitious targets in each of those areas, which we could then see we'd have transparency and measurement and to see them actually meeting those targets. So that's an example of an exclude. Thank you so much. It's, it, always, it makes it so much easier to understand process when there's case studies there. Um, Gunit, Kate brought up the G word, uh, greenwashing, um, and then walked us through how uh, their particular process and policies are applied at affirmative investment management. But how do advisors know that the investment manager, that the investment managers there are doing what they say they're doing? With CFS Thrive Plus, how do you make sure that the, the managers that you've selected are, are doing inside the tin what they say on the label? Yeah, that's a really good question, and I think it's um, it's really interesting the world of sustainability because firstly, there are not too many managers with experience mm. in sustainability, mm. and and also not that many with a track record. So, I think it's to do with our investment process, right? So when we select managers, we really focused on those that have experience in managing sustainable portfolios. In fact, for Thrive Plus, we have given preference to those that have origins in sustainability and AIM being one of them. And beyond that, really understanding the structure of the team, understanding what is the investment philosophy, how is the investment process really aligned to it. So we do spend a lot of time trying to qualitatively analyze how the impact strategy or the investment process that has some kind of sustainable filter really delivers that outcome. So I would say it would be a, a combination of qual and quantitative analysis that really drives that outcome. In fact, we take it to the next stage in which we look at the underlying holdings and, uh, and really try to understand what are they holding and why they're holding it. So in some instances, it would be very clear, like say uh, Vestas, it's a leading global manufacturer and servicer of wind turbines. It's clear, right, why managers holding it. Of course, we need to account for the valuation factor there. But in other instances, it could be quite implicit. Like there could be a company that is, I'd explained earlier, say driving carbon efficiency in the built environment, like say through insulation a company called Kingspan. So in that, it's not very explicit, but we try to understand the rationale why they're holding it. So it's not only at the selection stage, but it's also all those ongoing dialogues with the managers, the ongoing monitoring that is equally important that gives us that comfort that the manager is doing what they say they're doing. And in fact, this greenwashing risk, I think is quite straightforward, right? If the we all we have to ensure is 
what the managers say that they do. It's not it's not too tricky, but it's I guess in this world today, there's a lot of managers who are saying a lot or marketing a lot and not really doing what they say they're doing. And hence this whole greenwashing risk, which has become a big issue for all of us. Mm, absolutely. Um, you know, it, it's it's a conversation we need to have that as a maturing industry, we need to be able to explain and, and, and go through. Um, Kate, now that we've talked about the process at AIM, how do you then measure that sustainable performance and communicate it um, to your clients, to people like Ganit here? So importantly, Rachel, it's a bottom-up, hard data and really expertise that is applied uh, to the information we have. So as I said, we have over 2,000 projects through about 150 issuers. So that's a lot of data. Uh, And the advantage is with that data, we can collect uh, information which is really relevant, whether it's emission reduction Mm -hmm. or whether it's water saved or children immunised. And importantly, the work that has to be done is both verifying that data but in ensuring consistency of methodologies. Uh, And so we do a lot of recalculation. Uh, We deliver metrics such as the wacky weighted average carbon intensity. Uh, We obviously map our own mapping to the STGs and we put that together in an annual impact report, uh, which is over 50 pages long. Mm. Uh, But importantly, it's, it's twofold. One, it has key metrics, but it also works to educate uh, advisors and investors about how do you think about this? So I really like the index and I encourage um, advisors to go to, say, the carbon section if they'd like to learn about carbon or go to STGs to learn about STGs. Uh, mm-hmm. So we're very proud of that document and we've been awarded uh, the world-leading impact report for the fifth year running by Environmental Finance. Uh, mm-hmm. So I'd encourage those to go to um, CFS's website uh, and they can access that, that report. We love we love disclosure and transparency here at the Greener Way. So uh, happy to direct our listeners to uh, to check that up in their spare time. Um, as we come to the end of our time together, Gunit, um, you know, are there what would your closing message be? Um, you know, we've we've covered a broad range from impact to methodology to transparency and disclosure. But what to you is the key takeaway that you would like uh, our listeners to understand? Yeah, I think what I like to um, say that it's a challenging environment as highlighted earlier, you need to rely on experts to manage portfolios sustainably. And uh, Thrive Plus provides access to a professionally constructed, diversified, sustainable portfolio. Excellent. And Kate, in closing message uh, as as we come to the end of our time together. For investors, don't forget about the fundamentals. I think this industry is full of terminology. And that often spooks people. Don't be afraid to peel it back and think about supply, demand uh, and authenticity that you'd expect from any manager. That is the expectation you should have of an impact or a sustainable manager as well. Fantastic. Well, I would like to thank you both. Um, this episode, which was brought to uh, brought to us by CFS Thrive Plus, Gunit Rana, Kate Temby. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Greener Way podcast. If you like today's show, remember to rate and review us on your podcast platform and make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss an episode. Any feedback? Contact us on podcast at fssustainability.com.au. I'm Rachel Allen Backus. The Greener Way podcast is a product of FS Sustainability, a show about people, the planet, and investing in our collective future. 
All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. The Greener Way podcast gives listeners access to information and educational content provided by discussing numerous financial sustainable options and our featured guests. It is not intended as a substitute for professional, legal, or tax advice. The hosts of The Greener Way are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. FS Sustainability operates under an Australian Financial Service License and the exemption made available under the Corporations Act 2001 in respect to any information or advice given. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the FS Sustainability website, fssustainability.com.au.